You're listening to Caring Connections with Nicole Bruno, supported by HomeWatch Caregivers, whose mission is to preserve dignity, protect independence, and provide peace of mind for their clients and loved ones by providing exceptional home care. 97.9 FM WCHL is pleased to present Caring Connections with Nicole Bruno. Nicole has over 15 years of experience as a geriatric social worker and administrator working in the long-term care industry to include skilled nursing care, Alzheimer's care, adult day care, and home care. She also worked as a family caregiver. In addition, Nicole co-founded a nonprofit in the Triangle that specializes in support for caregivers. Now, Caring Connections with Nicole Bruno. Welcome to this episode of Caring Connections. Joining me today is Dr. David Fisher. He is a board-certified physician in family medicine, geriatrics, and palliative care. He practices with Doctors Making House Calls, the nation's largest medical practice dedicated to home care medicine, making more than 75,000 house calls per year in the Triangle and across North Carolina. Welcome, Dr. Fisher. It's great to be with you, Nicole. Thanks. I'm really excited that you're here today. We're going to be talking about a, a topic that I've actually had a really hard time finding a guest comfortable to talk about, which (laughs) is navigating the acute care setting. So I do appreciate you taking that time for me today and taking that risk, I guess. (laughs) Okay. So Dr. Fisher brought with him some of the top 10 things about this topic that he thought we should know that we probably don't know. And I thought I'd highlight a few of you for those, um, those of you listening today. The first is that most people over the age of 65 are one adverse event away from requiring care in an acute care setting. Yes, and that's very true in my practice. I see it all the time that people who are fairly healthy mm-hmm. and and seemingly healthy, as we get older, of course, uh, we're more at risk for some type of adverse health event. It could be a fall, mm-hmm. an infection, mm-hmm. some decompensation of a medical condition that we knew we had or maybe didn't even know that we had. Sure. And this can happen very rapidly and sometimes without warning. Beware. <laughs> yeah, and I think it emphasizes the importance of making sure you are checking in with your primary care physician. And, mm-hmm. you know, one thing we try to do in our practice is stay in very close contact with our patients, frequent follow-ups. Mm-hmm. And the acute care setting, the hospital, of course, we need, and mm-hmm. it's an important place. But if we can avoid the hospital, if we can do things to try sure. to stay out, you know, we, we try to do that in the outpatient setting as much as possible. So, so prevention is key. Absolutely. It's all about keeping your eye on that. Yeah, and, no, and none of us in this world like to be preventative, do we? <laughs> we all tend to be reactive. Absolutely. So. Yeah. Okay, the next is, um, if possible, it's very important to have an advocate during a hospitalization or an acute care stay. And I have to say, you know, even after, I mean, I'm pretty healthy person. I've had three kids, though, and I can tell you, every single time when I was in the hospital having a baby, I was glad there was someone there with me, because even after the third child, I didn't remember what they said to me, even though I already knew what to do. That's right. So, it's a And lot. it can be very overwhelming, yeah. especially if you're ill. Yep. You're not able to maybe fully understand everything sure. that's going on, sure. and to have that person or people there who can speak to the physicians, the nurses, uh, get a better idea of what's going on, extremely important. Mm-hmm. And Maybe not everyone has that, uh, but most people, it's, for, it's a family member. We do encourage all of our patients to have what's known as a healthcare power of attorney, mm-hmm. and that's one of the advanced directives that people can fill out. And sure. you, when you ask someone, 
who's the person you would trust to make healthcare decisions on your behalf if mm-hmm. you were unable? Usually there's one person that comes to mind. It's mm-hmm. maybe a spouse or a child or a close friend even. It really can be anyone that you name, but that's the person that you want who is able to speak on your behalf sure. and also who understands what your wishes may be Versus in certain their situations. Own. Exactly. Yeah. And who's going to advocate for you. Sure. Great. And then lastly, the best way to navigate the acute care setting is to take steps to avoid it in the first place. <laughs> and that's what I'm alluding oh, to. Oh, our hospital friends here in this loving that, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, as I said, hospitals are very important places. Sure, I send patients sure. to the hospital all the time. Uh, but if we can take steps to prevent that decompensation and treat in the outpatient setting, mm-hmm. it's better for patients. Sure. It certainly cuts down on the cost of medical care. And we do see a lot of things happen when patients come out of the hospital where uh, maybe things were changed in the hospital mm-hmm. and, and now we have to go back and reconcile the medications, yeah. follow up and do all those things. So if we can keep our patients out of the hospital, we try. But I know we're going to talk about what to how do to inside. navigate yes. once we're there. Say right? you're really there. Okay, bam, something happened. You had a, a slip, a trip, a fall, you broke a hip, whatever the case may be, and you're in the hospital. Talk to me a little bit about the different levels of acute care. Sure. So, of course, when someone goes into the emergency room, they may be admitted to the inpatient hospital setting. Even within the hospital, you have a general medical floor. Mm-hmm. You're going to have the intensive care unit. There's other units like post-surgical units. Sure. And then... Uh, once someone has maybe finished their time in the hospital, mm-hmm. especially in the world of geriatrics, we also consider the skilled nursing facility as part of the acute care setting. Mm-hmm. And so many people may be discharged to what's called a skilled nursing or rehab uh, often what we think of as a nursing home, right. but there they have a rehab beds or a rehab unit where someone's still rehabilitating from that acute care. So those are the different levels. And one of the things that I have a question for you, uh, actually, and, and if, if this is beyond your area of expertise, please say so. But one of the things that I've been hearing is that people are spending more and more time in the emergency room and not actually getting admitted. So is that almost like a new level of hospitalization these days? Is that observation period? Absolutely. You might say that because... Hospitals are increasingly incentivized to keep people out of the hospital in sure. terms of how Medicare is reimbursing hospitals for mm-hmm. hospitalizations. Mm-hmm. There's, there used to be an incentive to admit people, and that has changed quite a bit, in mm-hmm. fact, mm-hmm. where uh, if someone can be treated as, say, an observation admission, and that's an important term to bring up, actually, if okay. you're in the emergency room, is this a quote-unquote full admission? Is this an observation admission? That could even affect how Medicare pays for the admission. And so... That's something that you can ask about. There are time limits on observation, 24 mm-hmm. to 48 hours, and you have to be discharged or converted to a full admission. So, But yes, I've had patients who've been in the emergency room, received IV fluids, antibiotics, yeah. maybe treatment, and, and then ended up being discharged because they never actually got a bed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you're in a bed, right? You're not just sitting on the floor, are well, you? Well, <laughs> I've even heard stories of people being in the hallway because oh, the emergency room was, was overwhelmed. But oh. typically, what happens is uh, you're evaluated by the emergency room physician whose main job is to determine, okay, is this Mm -hmm. life-threatening? Should we consider that this person needs to come into the hospital versus just well, treat and street was the term we would always use, mm-hmm. uh, give them treatment and, and ship them out. But sure. uh, if there's question, they will then call 
what's known as the hospitalist. Mm -hmm. So this is, in the last 10 to 15 years, a real movement that has come up where you have hospital-based physicians who will come down and assess the patient and determine if they do indeed need to come into the hospital. Okay. And then uh, a firm or organization like yours, a practice like yours, do you get involved in this process as well? Are you able to see the patients while they're in the hospital? How does that work? Great question. We actually do not go into the hospital, and there's very few primary care physicians now who do. Mm-hmm. That it's uh, when you are in the hospital, you're being managed by a hospital based physician or a hospitalist. Now, we make a point to try and be in touch with the mm-hmm. hospitalist when our patients are in the hospital, which is not something we actually uh, see a lot anymore. It's really unfortunate. There's like I a breakdown there. You know the patient better than anybody else, and then they re- get, go into the hospital, and there's brand new eyes on them that don't really know the history. So that almost seems like a gap in care. Absolutely. And we do try to send our records, but not all of the electronic yeah. medical <laughs> records talk to each yeah. other. And yeah. so you're right. It's almost like a fresh start, which is unfortunate. And Of course, when you're in the hospital, things are different. You're under stress. Mm -hmm. And so, for example, a person who has diabetes may have elevated blood Mm -hmm. sugars. You may have elevated blood pressures. That's not necessarily the time to start adjusting the chronic medications. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, And some doctors may or may not do that. But uh, the point is you really want to make sure the healthcare team is talking to each other, which unfortunately doesn't always happen. Now, we, we keep very close tabs on our patients. If they do go to the emergency room, we try to call the, mm-hmm. the physician if we know they're there, sure. give them a little background. And of course, the physicians always appreciate that. And uh, that helps the patient out a lot as well. And we try to be in touch with the hospitalist. Sure. But that's something that the patient advocate can mm-hmm. do while the patient is in the hospital. Yeah. Get in touch with your primary care physician. Mm-hmm. First of all, make sure they know that you're in the hospital. Sure. Sometimes yeah. they may not even know. And we'll touch more on that advocate role right when we get back. We're going to take a quick break. Joining me today is Dr. David Fisher with uh, Doctors Making House Calls. Caring Connections with Nicole Bruno on 97.9 FM WCHL, supported by HomeWatch Caregivers. Now, more of Caring Connections. Welcome back. This is Nicole Bruno, your host of Caring Connections. And joining me is Dr. David Fisher with Doctors Making House Calls. And we are having a great conversation about managing the acute care setting and, quite frankly, how to keep out of there, too. Yes, right. (laughs) Welcome back. Okay, so... Once a person's admitted and they sort of get through that whole stage where they're, okay, the the person in the hospital says, yes, they do need to be in a bed admitted, what are some of the important questions to ask during a hospitalization as a patient advocate? Well, you want to know what the different roles are being played. And so who is your hospitalist or your hospital physician? What specialists are also part of the care and what the different roles are there? You also... uh, want to know what is the discharge plan. Mm -hmm. And we would always say discharge planning starts the day you're admitted. And so is there a plan for how many days you're going to be in the hospital? Mm -hmm. Have you also spoken to my primary care physician? Mm -hmm. As we talked about in the last segment, that's a really important piece of communication you'd like to have open. Sure. And so those are some important questions to ask. I know one of the frustrations in the caregivers that I work with uh, often comes up. Um, they feel like they have to be t- there 24 hours a day because the hosp- the doctors just pop in sure. at all random times. Their family member sometimes is just out of it. And then they never get a chance to actually talk to the doctor again. Is there sort of a rule of thumb about 
when you can try to catch somebody? Or is there sort think, of a back way to get through to have a, have a conversation? I think it really depends on the doctor. But a good question might be, is there an hour window when I could expect you to be mm-hmm. here? Or when do you typically make your rounds? And that way you can hopefully get some time because we don't always know what right. things may come up, but right. usually can get some window. And then uh, to know which nurse, uh, there's usually a charge nurse on mm-hmm. the floor who can get in touch with the doctor if there is a acute issue. Sure. So that's a good person to know who to talk to, yeah. you know, the, the aide or the person coming in mm-hmm. to maybe change the bed or bring the meal isn't necessarily going to know those details, but the charge nurse usually well, knows definitely. when to expect the doctor to come around. And say uh, if I'm a, a, you know, a, a patient advocate, I'm, you know, love one of a family member in the hospital and there's an issue, there's some sort of an issue that I'm concerned about. Yeah. I know sometimes families are concerned about talking about what their concerns are or they're not really sure the appropriate route to take. Is there sort of a, a way the hospitals deal with, I guess, risk management per se, if there's a concern that, you know, mom's not getting the care that she should be getting? Or how do you carefully go about advocating without alienating, I guess? <laughs> right. I think if there is a real concern uh, where you think that something's not being done right, uh, there is typically a nurse manager mm-hmm. who would be above the charge nurse that you would go to. And uh, yes, they will often send someone from risk yeah, management yeah. <laughs> because their hospital may be concerned about their own liability concerns. But uh, there's a whole, uh, uh, typically there is an entire hierarchy of of nurses and nurse managers who are well-trained to look at all these issues and that's just the way about it. There's a softer approach to take. You know, some people feel like they have to charge in and you just complain. You know, there's it's hard to decide what's the best way to, to make a complaint or raise a concern without getting everybody who's caring for your loved one upset. It's a good point. Yeah. And, of course, just basic common sense. I know it can be very upsetting, especially if you think your loved one's not getting the care that they yeah. deserve. Yeah. But to be polite, yeah. <laughs> to try to remain calm and uh, just try to make clear what is your specific concern Mm -hmm. uh, and so that that can be addressed. If you're complaining about everything from the food to the, you know, uh, you're maybe not going to be heard as well. But uh, to have a very specific question or concern that you're raising is a good approach. Great. And so let's talk about, we get to the point where, you know, okay, so we went to the ER, we were admitted, we've been there, we're doing better. What steps can patients take to make a smooth transition home? Well, one thing to keep in mind, especially people over 65, is that if you're in the hospital just for two or three days, Mm -hmm. your muscles tend to lose a lot of strength. And they've shown this in scientific studies documenting the atrophy that occurs. So asking for if your hospitalization is going to last for two or three days or longer, asking for a physical therapist to come in and work with you even as you're recovering to making sure you're still able to get up out of bed and move around, that's a good request to make. Okay. Looking at the medications, knowing exactly what has been changed, if anything, and making sure you have a clear list. You can ask for a printout of that discharge summary. Mm -hmm. I get discharge summaries all the time, and unfortunately, they don't always even match what necessarily was given to the patient. And so we make it a policy to see our patients within 48 hours after coming home. Mm -hmm. So if you know your discharge date, 
They may say, see your doctor within one to two weeks. But if you're somebody who takes more than three or four medicines or it's been a more complicated hospitalization, Mm -hmm. I recommend seeing the doctor within two to three days if Mm -hmm. you can. Mm -hmm. I know I was recently at a presentation where a pharmacist was talking and they were saying, you know, oftentimes they don't have the new list necessarily. And so when they're filling prescriptions, they're filling multiple things that the person's no longer on, and then the person's confused. While they know they have to take these new medicines, they're yes. taking their old medicines on top of their new medicines. And what are some ways that a, a family member might be able to figure well, what, that out? Sure. One thing that has to be done before the patient is discharged is what's called a medication reconciliation. That's something the doctor does as part of their discharge summary, but they don't always necessarily give that printout. So you can ask for that printout before okay. you leave, and I would recommend patients do that. We rely on the electronic records getting to then the primary care physician. It's getting better, and we will Mm -hmm. often get those. But doing then a reconciliation once you get home with your primary doctor, or maybe you have a home health agency Mm -hmm. who's going to be coming in, and they can do that. But again, doing that within 48 to 72 hours, I think, is really important. So describe for me what you mean by medication reconciliation. Does this pull all the medicines you've ever been on from every pharmacy in the world, or is it just based on what you said you took? And you may not have remembered everything. Well, that's true. So if you can bring in your medications or at least once you're at the hospital, have your advocate bring in a mm-hmm. current list of what you're actually taking. So this isn't pulling from, you know, all the various pharmacy chains in the area. This is based on your word of mouth and perhaps what the primary gave and that's then what right. the hospital did. I- exactly and so, right. Okay. And so that's what we talk about, reconciling what was being given at home versus maybe what's now new coming out of the hospitalization, mm-hmm. getting those all on the same page, literally. Wow. And being able to bring that home with you so that your primary doctor can see it and match that up with the records from the hospital. And, you know, this is a a major problem, actually. We do see a lot of medication errors that happen in these transitions of care. So you can be your own advocate in that way by maintaining your own accurate list Mm -hmm. of what you're taking and then making sure the hospital doctor has that and taking home a list before you leave. So a common term used for people who are in and out of the hospital a lot, it's it's, uh, called a frequent flyer. (laughs) Yes, right. (laughs) And so if you were to name for me one thing in the next few seconds here that you think would help a patient not become a frequent flyer, what would that be? Attention from a primary care physician who really knows you. And that's one reason I joined this group, Doctors Making House Calls, because as a family physician, that's what I like to do. Mm -hmm. And... It has been shown in studies that frequent outpatient visits, especially these complex patients mm-hmm. who have a lot of medical problems, supersede uh, and and prevent uh, hospitalizations. So getting to know a primary doctor and seeing them frequently after hospitalization is That's a good key. idea. Great. Well, we're going to be right back. I'm here today with Dr. Fisher with Dr. Making House Calls. Caring Connections with Nicole Bruno. On 97.9 FM, WCHL, supported by HomeWatch Caregivers. Now, more of Caring Connections. Welcome back. This is Nicole Bruno, your host of Caring Connections. And joining me is Dr. David Fisher with Doctors Making House Calls. And in the last few minutes we have left here, I know that you brought with you some great resources that will help our listening audience really learn to navigate that uh, acute care setting and just help them in general as they're navigating these difficult waters. Um, Share with us those resources. It's been a pleasure to talk with you so far today. Oh, I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Well, uh, I'm with Doctors Making House Mm -hmm. Calls and 
I've always believed there's no place like home. And so <laughs> uh, I wrote a book actually called How to Keep Mom and Yourself Out of a Nursing Home. But uh, there's some good tips in there about uh, th- some things that you can be doing, whether it's at home, in a nursing home, in the hospital, to maintain independence. And that's really what a lot of us fear about getting older is losing that independence, being more dependent on a Mm -hmm. hospitalization or frequent trips into the emergency room or the doctor. Um, Doctorsmakinghousecalls.com is where people can find out more about... So you really do go home. That's right. Yeah, we we visit people in their homes and make sure that once they are home, they uh, don't have to end up back in the hospital. But... um, are you accepting patients with new Medicare? I know a lot of physicians are not. Does your practice do that? We do. We you accept do. all Medicare know. and commercial insurance plans. Um, and really, it's especially people who are maybe frequent flyers, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, mm-hmm. or have frequent trips to the hospital who would really benefit from a home care physician because it is such a hard, uh, it is such a difficult thing to get out to the doctor often. It wow. can be an all-day affair for somebody mm-hmm. who's has complex medical problems. And so having the doctor come into the home. And also, we're well acquainted with all the home health agencies mm-hmm. and the additional resources that can come sure. in and almost do what we call a hospital-at-home type setting. Sure. We've even had people get IVs and mm-hmm. antibiotics and things at home rather than having to be hospitalized. Well, and I would say there's got to be something to be said for being able to look at a person in their natural environment. You know, Sometimes Absolutely. people really bolster themselves up and do really great. They all use all their energy they can make it to have a good face at the doctor's You're office. You're so but right. at home, it is what it is. You really see <laughs> so, what's going yeah, on, and yeah. that's very true. Yeah. Of course, people often tell the doctor what they want to hear yeah, in the yeah, office, yeah. but are <laughs> you really right. taking your medicines? And you really get a sense of what's going on, and we can often pinpoint, well, here's some pitfalls that may be coming up, whether it's a fall risk or a problem with medication um, Management, and we can bring in the resources to then try to prevent even having to go in. Because really, as much as we need hospitals, it's not the best place to provide long-term care. Sure. You really want that person who knows you and practice who knows you well and is accessible. And patients can call us 24-7 at our number, which is 919-932-5700. And your service area? Well, we serve the Triangle, but also now Greensboro, Charlotte, east toward Greenville, heading west toward the mountains. We continue to expand, and we've rapidly grown in the last few years because people really like our service. Yeah, so if there's, you know, somebody's listening and you have a loved one in those outlying areas, sometimes people are listening and they'll say, oh, I wish this was in my area. So I'm glad that you did share that service area. And if people want to get a hold of your book, how do they go about and do that? They can search an Amazon, How to Keep Mom Out of a Nursing Home, or they can visit my website, which is drfisher.com, D-O-C-T-O-R-F-I-S-H-E-R.com. Wonderful. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show today. We hope you come back again if we ask you. It was great. I'd love to. Thanks, Wonderful, wonderful. And as always, you may email your caring questions to caring at 1360wchl.com. Thank you so much and have a wonderful day. The purpose of Caring Connections is to educate listeners to help improve the quality of life for families, for professional caregivers, as well as those people affected with Alzheimer's disease. Caring Connections with Nicole Bruno is supported by HomeWatch Caregivers. You can hear this and any other program of Caring Connections on WCHL's website, chapelboro.com. 
Be sure to email questions to caring at 1360wchl.com. Caring Connections is a presentation of 97.9 FM, WCHL, Chapel Hill Carborough's News, Talk, and Tar Heel Station.